I'm excited to open up God's Word with you today. We're in the final week of a five-week series we've been going through called Anxious for Nothing. And we've recognized that this is a series that God has had His hand in the whole time. I think He definitely planned the timing of this series. It's been a very practical series for many of us. I've had dozens and dozens of conversations about it. Uh, I'm sure you had a lot of opportunities this last week to put into practice some of the stuff that we've been talking about. So just to kind of catch up on where we've been, we kicked off the series by looking at the secret to overcoming anxiety that we find in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Then we talked about how to have victory over control freak anxiety and over the anxiety that we get when we just continue to chew on the same worrisome thoughts over and over and over. And then last week we talked about anxiety that we have because of relationships. So hopefully that gave you a little boost going into the Thanksgiving weekend. I'm sure some of you were thrust into some family dinners and some situations that can cause anxiety. I know my wife and I were out of town, and at one point I looked around, we had 19 people in the house uh, where we were spending Thanksgiving weekend, and, uh, and it was great. You know, there was no anxiety, I can honestly say. Uh, but today we're going to conclude with a topic that really probably everyone in here can relate to, or at least you've been able to relate to it at one time or another, and that is when finances make you anxious. So maybe some of you are feeling a little more anxious than usual because things got a little out of control on Black Friday, so maybe your anxiety related to finances is more than what it normally is. I have to say one of the most positive things about the whole COVID pandemic for me is it kind of blew up the traditional Black Friday. Are any of you in here Black Friday fans? You can be honest. I won't judge you. I just don't get it. Like, I, I just don't get So you like to get there hours early, and you stand in line outside, and you wait for the doors to open. I remember at Al's Sporting Goods one year, there must have been two dozen people who slept it overnight in tents so they could be the first in line. And then the doors finally open, and everybody's pushing and shoving, and you get that old so special feeling of that shopping cart that rams into your Achilles heel, Right? And then they look at you like you did something wrong. I mean, what's not to love? I'm, I'm, I can see why you guys like it. So for whatever reason, some people love that. That's uh, just not for me. Now, for others, you don't really have any anxiety over Black Friday, but you feel like you have plenty of other reasons to be anxious over money. Statistics say that the cost of food is up 11% compared to what it was a year ago. Now, I don't know who compiles these statistics because the food I'm buying is up way more than 11%. <laughs> Maybe you're going to be traveling for the holidays. Airfare is up 43%. They're projecting that to heat our homes this winter, heating costs are going to be up 58%. The average 401k is down over 25% from over a year ago. The average household credit card debt right now is $9,000. So it seems like there's a lot of reason to be anxious about finances. Some of you are like, wow, thanks for the pep talk, Pastor John. <laughs> Love how exciting you are this morning. But we're going to see that God's Word has a lot to say about anxiety over finances. Now, we've been camping out in Philippians chapter 4 throughout the series, and that's where we're going to be again today. If you want to turn there in your Bible or go there on your Bible app, we're going to pick up in verse 11. Paul writes, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. If we were to back up one verse, we would see that, that Paul is praising God because the Philippians had been concerned about him. 
Then he makes this powerful statement that he has learned how to be content in every situation. Now think about who's saying this. Paul is saying he's learned how to be content in every situation. Paul, who's been through shipwrecks, who's gone days without eating, who's been beaten, who's been flogged, who is sitting in a jail unjustly as he writes this, he says, I've learned how to be content in every situation. But he didn't do it because of his strength. He recognized that he could do it through Christ who strengthens him. See, Philippians 4.13 is is what I call a refrigerator verse. You can go into a lot of Christian homes and you'll see Philippians 4.13 on a mirror somewhere, on a refrigerator. A lot of Christians know it. A lot of Christians quote it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But I think very few Christians realize the context in which Paul originally wrote it. So we tend to think of it as some amazing accomplishment. You know, I can, I can summit Mount Everest because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or we'll see athletes who wear it, you know, in their eye black or things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in its original context, Paul is talking about contentment. He said, the reason I can be content through all situations is because of Christ who gives me strength. Contentment is such a powerful antidote to anxiety, especially when it comes to finances. So I want you to think about over the last several weeks, the last several months, and I want you to ask yourself an honest question. What has been your attitude towards finances? Would you say it's one of contentment or is it one of anxiety? I would say for most of us, if we're being honest, it's probably anxiety. Here's our big idea for today's sermon. That's financial anxiety comes for all of us, whether we have too little or too much. See, I think we often assume that the only people who deal with financial anxiety are the people who make about the same amount of money as us or less. Because we assume that anybody who makes more money than us obviously has to be happy. They don't deal with anxiety because we tell ourselves, if we had just a little more, we wouldn't be anxious. If I had just a little more, God, I wouldn't be anxious about finances. But all the studies, all the polls show that almost everyone is affected by financial anxiety. So I'm not going to ask you if your anxiety is related to having too little or too much. I think almost all of us would say it's because we have too little, so let's start there. And what I would want to remind you of is that if you have too little, God knows your needs. God knows your needs. He is completely aware of your situation. Nothing is a surprise to him. Nothing catches him off guard. And God's Word says he not only knows your needs, but that he will meet your needs. And we see this in verse 19 of chapter 4. Paul says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, if we were to read all of chapter 4 and kind of get the broader context, we would see that the church in Philippi had sent some material gifts to Paul while he was in prison. They sent them through this Christian name, Epaphroditus. So part of what Paul is doing in Philippians is this is really a thank you letter. Now, we don't know if those gifts were food or clothing or money or maybe a combination of all the three, but we know they were material gifts. We also know that Paul commends the church in Philippi for supporting him financially when he went on his missionary trip to Thessalonica. So you might be hearing that and you might be going, okay, well, John, what does that have to do with having too little? 
Because it sounds like the church in Philippi had excess and so they were able to bless Paul, but that is not the case at all. The church in Philippi had almost nothing. Paul said that they were very poor. In fact, we'll read some other passages where they're described as very poor. And keep in mind, Paul's definition of very poor is way different than our definition of very poor in 21st century America. Now, I recognize that some of us are struggling more than others, and I don't want to minimize that. But none of us in here should be dealing with anxiety because we have too little. If you have a garage, your car has a better home than a big chunk of the population of this world. If you ate at least one meal every day this week, you would be the envy of millions and millions of people around the world. If you have more clothes than what you just have on your back, so many people in third world countries would be jealous of what you have. It's not that we have too little. But yet, the Philippians truly were in a dire situation. They were barely surviving, but they were still generous, as we're going to see. And Paul gives them this reminder that God knows your needs, and God is going to meet your needs. This promise was very broad and very restrictive at the same time. Paul said, God will meet all of your needs. All is the broad part. He's going to meet all of your needs. But he's going to meet all of your needs. Needs is the restrictive part. There's nothing in there about wants. There's no promise in there about being healthy, wealthy, and wise. There's no promise about desires. But there is a promise that God will meet all of your needs. And think of what an encouragement that would have been to the Philippians. What a powerful reminder to them that they could trust God to meet their needs. And Paul's not the only one in the New Testament who would give us that reminder. Jesus does the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34. Jesus says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I read those three phrases, what will we eat, what will we drink, and what will we wear? And I'm thinking for a first century Christian, those sound like pretty good things to be anxious over. Like those are pretty basic needs. There's no fluff there. They're worried about basic necessities. I can only imagine what Jesus would say to us and the things that we worry over when it comes to materialistic things. Because I doubt anyone in this room was literally worried this morning about if you would have food to eat or water to drink or something to put on. Jesus said, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That phrase, dominate the thoughts, does that make you think back to two weeks ago when we talked about ruminating? We talked about chewing on the same things over and over. So maybe as we did that sermon two weeks ago, you recognize that's what you're chewing on. Maybe the anxiety that you have, maybe the thoughts you're chewing on related to finances. God came to set us free from that. God wants to free you from anxiety over material things. As a believer, you're invited to experience that freedom. This is one of the areas in our lives where God wants us to be holy. And when I say holy, I don't necessarily mean morally pure. It means to be different. It means to be set apart. You and I should look different than unbelievers when it comes to anxiety over money. We shouldn't have it. Jesus said that he came to set the captives free. One of the things he wants to free you from is materialism and worry over money. 
See, as a follower of Jesus, you and I have already experienced our greatest need ever being met. He's already met our need for a Savior. He's already met our need to be delivered from sin and death. And a God who would meet that need is a God that you and I can trust to meet all of our other needs. He will be faithful. He will come through. Just before Jesus told his followers not to worry about these things, he talked about the idea of how God cares for things that are here today and gone tomorrow, things that are not created in his image, so how much more will he care for us? He talks about that in Matthew 6, 28 through 30. He says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully about wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the wildfire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. If God's going to take such special care of something that is literally here today and then tomorrow just thrown in the fire, how much more will he take care of you? Because you have eternal value. You are created in his image. Now, Jesus said the lilies of the field don't work or make their clothing. Let's just be clear, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to work. Okay, the Bible is clear throughout Scripture, hard work is a good thing. We were created to work. In fact, we're supposed to work as unto the Lord. The antidote to anxiety isn't laziness, it's faith. It's trust. See, later in that passage, Jesus asks his listeners, why do you have so little faith? I think, honestly, guys, we often minimize what an affront it is to God when you and I have wimpy faith. What a slap in the face it is to Him, really. You ever have an experience when your kids were little and they just didn't trust you? Maybe it was the first time you took them to a playground and you're at the bottom of the slide and they're at the top and you're like, hey, I'll catch you, come on. But they just will not budge, like they are stuck. And you're like, I'm going to catch you, trust me, and they they just don't. Their fear is bigger than their faith. Or maybe it's the first time you took them swimming and you're, you're kind of wading into the water and you're holding them, but as soon as their foot touches the water, they panic and they start scratching you and, and you're like, I've got you. I'm right here. I've got you. And we know what a slap in the face that feels like to us as parents, even though we're fallen. We have let our kids down. We do mess up. Imagine what that's like to God to our perfect Heavenly Father who has never let us down, who has never failed us. When we have little faith, that's like what we do to Him. So I just want to remind you, if you have too little, He knows your needs, and you can trust Him to come through. I would say for most of us, that's not the issue. For most of us, it's the second point. If you have too much, you're probably still anxious. Now, look, I know most of us wouldn't say we have too much. I know most of you don't truly feel like you have too much. I get that. I, I don't feel most of the time like I have too much. But if you look at what our basic needs really are and what most of this world has, I would say everyone in this room probably has way more than you need. And in spite of that, we still with anxiety over money. <laughs> we still let it dominate our thoughts from time to time. I want to share a passage with you guys that has been probably one of the most challenging in all of the Bible for me when it comes to this issue of finances. It comes from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. And the writer says, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. 
Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. The writer asked God, first of all, to to help him to never tell a lie, and then he kind of gets into the money part. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. That almost sounds counterintuitive, like why would you pray not to be rich? Because most of us are like, man, if I just had more money, God, I would give so much of it away. Would we? When you come into extra money now, is that typically what happens? Do you give most of it away or do you end up spending more of it on yourselves? I feel like this is such a courageous prayer to pray. There have been a couple of seasons in my life when I feel like God has given me the courage to pray, and then as soon as I pray it, I want to take it back. Because there have been times when God has given us just enough to get through the month. I remember some of those months. And I will tell you, looking back on them, guys, they were amazing faith builders. Because I've seen God pull money out of places you can't imagine to get us through. I mean, it's, it's been crazy the way God has somehow helped us to meet our needs. If I had an hour, I'd tell you story after story after story. But in the middle of those times, I was scared to death. In the middle of those times, I had anxiety. So I know it's tough we're in the middle of it, but God has always shown up. If we jump back to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to see Jesus address this issue again in verse 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's a very sobering truth. I mean, he just comes right out and says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. First, if you're enslaved to it, it's an idol in your life. If you're enslaved to it, it's taken a higher priority in your life than God has. It's a more important thing than He is. And you're going to serve what's most important to you. Second, I think if you're enslaved to it, it is what dominates your thoughts. You're not going to be able to focus on the things of God because you're always focused on how to make more money or how to take the money you're already making and make sure that, that you're accustomed to the lifestyle that, that you've gotten used to. You're thinking about those dollars coming in and how to stretch them. You know, recent research has shown us that as amazing as our brains are, you can really only have concentrated, focused thoughts on one thing at a time. We're really not as great at multitasking as we like to think we are. So if my thoughts are constantly occupied with money and material things, I'm not thinking about the things of God. And I don't want to put anyone on the spot when I ask this. I asked myself this own question this week. Over the last several weeks or last several months, I want you to think about what's been occupying most of your thought life. Has it been things? Money? Anxiety over those things? Or has it been around God and His purpose for your life? what he wants to do in this valley, how he wants to draw more people to himself, how we can have revival in our campuses like we just prayed about. What have you been chewing on? What have you been ruminating on? Paul warned his protege, Timothy, about the dangers of longing for riches in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation or trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I think this is one of those passages that's very important to make sure we understand what it does say and what it doesn't say, because sometimes people get this one mixed up. Okay? It doesn't say people who are rich fall into temptation, and it doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it doesn't say people with money have wandered from the true faith. It's not the money itself, it's our attitude towards the money that is the issue. It's people who long to be rich to fall into temptation. It's the longing that is the concern. If you're longing for something you don't have, then you're not content. You're not grateful for what God has already given you, right? It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. So much of this world's evil is spurned by love for the dollar. You know, the human trafficking industry is a $150 billion a year industry, modern-day slavery. The illicit drug trade in the United States alone is a $100 billion industry a year, the love of money. Then Paul talks specifically in verse 10 about Christians who have wandered from the true faith because they craved money, and what was the result? It says they pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, they, they left the one thing that actually would bring them joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction. That's pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ to pursue the things of the world, which are just a mirage. They don't satisfy. So they get to the end of that road, and this fulfillment, this, this longing they wanted to be fulfilled, they're still empty. And so they're pierced with many sorrows. And we see that all the time around us. We see People that seem to have it all, right? Professional athletes and entertainers who have all the money and all the fame and all the power and all the accolades, and they're miserable. They take their own lives. They get stuck in addictive behavior because there's nothing that can fill that longing we have for a relationship with the God who created us. They're still missing something. So how do we overcome this? And most of us aren't entertainers and athletes where we have mega millions who are more in the real world but how do we overcome this anxiety? Well, I think first off, we ask God to help us control our thoughts. You know, back to a couple of weeks ago, don't ruminate on money. Think about the things of God. Think about the things He's already blessed you with. Take those thoughts captive. And I think there's another very practical application in this battle, and that is generosity. See, generosity releases the grip of money on your heart, whether you have too little or too much. Again, it's not the money itself, it's the attitude we have towards the money. Once we have the proper understanding that it's God's money and you and I are just managing with it, it really does help release so much of the anxiety related to money. If, if I know it's not mine, if I'm just managing it, then whether I have too little or too much, it's really not as big of a deal. I just have to do a better job at being a steward of it. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. So now he's addressing a different church. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Do you know which churches in Macedonia are one of them? Church in Philippi. So he's going to do a little bragging on the Philippians here. They are being tested by many troubles and are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. So we've been looking at Philippians. That's who Paul had written the other letter to. Well, 
Well, the church in Philippi is in Macedonia. So now as Paul writes the Corinthians, he's going to brag on that church a little bit. He's going to say that they were a blessing to me, but he recognizes, even Paul understands that it's God's kindness. It's God's kindness and it's God's resources that the Philippians were just stewarding, that the Philippians used to bless him. And he says, even though they were very poor, and again, in Paul's time, very poor meant you were barely surviving. They truly knew what poverty was like. But in spite of that, what does it say about them? It says, even though they were very poor, they are filled with abundant joy. Their joy had nothing to do with their material things. They were filled with abundant joy. It overflowed into rich generosity. So then they financially supported Paul. They financially supported other believers in Jerusalem when Paul was taking an offering for the church in early Jerusalem. And there's also a lesson here, not just about the givers, but there's a lesson here for those of us on the receiving end of God's gifts. See, sometimes God uses people to meet your needs. When God promised to meet all of your needs, He didn't make any promises on how He would do it. And I know that can be a blow to our pride. I know sometimes we don't like it when God uses people to help meet our needs, but that's how God often works. I've literally seen people get mad at God and curse God because He didn't meet their needs and at the same time turn down help from other people who are trying to help. (laughs) They didn't recognize that God was willing to meet their needs. He just wanted to use people to do it. And again, I know that's hard. I know it's hard to swallow our pride, but sometimes we have to do that. See, when you reject help from someone, you're not only hindering how God may want to provide for you, you are actually robbing that person of a blessing. Because there is a principle in the Bible of sowing and reaping. I remember about 20 years ago when my wife and I had to ask my father-in-law to borrow money. It was one of the hardest days of my life to go to this man whose daughter I had married, whose daughter I was supposed to care for, I was supposed to provide for, I was supposed to protect and have to borrow money. I had several companies that owed me commission money, like thousands of dollars in commissions, and they were all dragging their feet, and we weren't going to make it that month. And I remember when she called, and we both talked to him on the phone, and I hated it. But he was so gracious. And I remember him saying that he was proud of us, that we didn't let my pride get in the way of asking for help. Because he said, it's going to be a blessing for you guys, be a blessing for me. Because he was going to charge me 25% interest. So I was, no, not, I'm just kidding. He didn't. <laughs> but he understood this principle of sowing and reaping. That he knew he was not only going to bless us, that God would end up using that to bless him. Now, maybe God would use that to bless him materially. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes God does bless us materially when we give. But there is always a blessing attached when you're generous. You can't outgive God. It's a principle in Scripture. Luke 6, 38 says it like this. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, again, we don't give to get. When I'm blessing someone, I don't do it just because I want to get something back, but there is a biblical principle of sowing and reaping, and you cannot outgive God. And this isn't just related to finances. 
Like in the context of Luke 6, Jesus is talking about mercy and forgiveness and compassion and love. You can't outgive God in any of those areas. And when you give those things away, you don't have to worry about being left short on your own because God's going to outgive you. And so we should be generous, not just with finances, but with compassion and with mercy and with forgiveness to those around us. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says it like this. I love this. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. There's just something refreshing when we bless others, isn't there? Even if you don't get something back material out, there's just something refreshing when you know that God used you to help meet a need. And so whether we're blessed materially or whether or not that waits until we have treasures in heaven, there's definitely a blessing. I mean, Jesus talked a ton about treasures in heaven. I'll just confess, I don't know exactly what they're going to look like. I'm not smart enough to figure all that out. But I know they're real because Jesus talked about them a bunch. And I know when we bless others that we're storing those up. I want to wrap up by going back to that very first verse that we looked at, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes for a minute as I read this again. I just want us to kind of ruminate on this. I want us to chew on this just for a second. This really is a prayer for me and for our church. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. My prayer for us as a church family is that we really would experience contentment in all situations. That we learn how to be content whether we have little or whether we have much. That's going to take away so much of the anxiety that we have and it's going to replace it with His peace. And think of how attractive that's going to be to the world around us. People are going to want to know more about this Jesus who gives us that kind of strength. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm, I'm so grateful that you are a generous God. You're not a stingy God. You give abundantly in so many ways. And I'm, I'm not talking about material things, although you, you do materially bless us as well. But God, just the blessing of your presence the blessing of a relationship with you, the blessing of a Savior. Thank you, God, for giving everything at the cross. Thank you for leaving the comforts of heaven and taking on flesh and and being subject to everything you went through and paying the price that we should have paid. God, I just want to lift up anyone who, who feels like they have too little right now. And again, I don't want to minimize the financial challenges that some people are going through. God, I know it's hard. I know. I've been there. I remember what those times are like. God, I pray that you would give them faith. I pray that they would know that you will meet their needs. And I pray that you'd let them know that it may be through people that you do that. So that might mean that they have to do a hard thing and just be willing to share with others that they have a need. You know, maybe that means that they... They come up and say, hey, we'd like to be on the giving tree because we could use some help this Christmas. Or, hey, we could use a bag from the mobile pantry to provide some of our household cleaning items and stuff. We could use some help. God, I just pray that they'd they'd be able to trust that if that's how you want to meet their need, that you can do that. For those of us, God, who have too much or at least have more than we need, I pray that you would help us to be generous. 
need to remind us, God, that really it's all yours. Every bit of it's yours. You're just letting us manage it. Help us to be good stewards of it. Help us to continue to be generous so that we can support missionaries like Vicki and Rob and Steve and Katie. Help us to continue to be able to go across the street and do mobile pantry dinners and, and household cleaning items for folks who are struggling. For the Christmas gifts we're going to deliver around the neighborhood, God, I pray that they'd be a blessing to those families. For the families who are going to be on the giving tree, I pray that even though it's going to be people who buy the goods, that they would know that it was God's kindness that met their need this Christmas season. Just like you met our greatest needs so many Christmases ago. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.